John wanted to, I believe, wanted me to share with you that some of the Breaking Chains um, tickets are out there um, for different events, different fundraisers that are going on. The, one of them is the cards for Sonic. The other one is the Pizza Ranch. But the Pancake one for sure is out there for $7. And I was looking at that. It's not just all the pancakes you can eat on the 18th of April, which is a Saturday. Is that right? Um, but there is bacon that comes with it, and there is, so I mean, not all the bacon you can eat, that'll never happen. Although, what a great fundraiser that would be, right? All the bacon you can eat. Kevin, you'll be there for the bacon you can eat one, right? For the <laughs> You'd probably go in the hole, that's right. But we had all the bacon we could eat, it was worth it. Just, just that alone. Anyway, that stuff's out there, different jars, just a bunch of, you know. And then on the 12th, this Sunday at 3 o'clock, we're having an informational meeting on how you can support, help, uh, volunteer, whatever, for the Breaking Chains concert or uh, festival. i got to get that straight. Um, So anyway, that's what's out there. So you're going to be out there to do the pancake ones. You want to hand those out? You don't want people just dipping their hands into that. A bunch of crazy people around here might take your stuff. Yeah. Okay. You do? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so inside the envelope, reach in, grab as many as you want. They're seven bucks a piece, or as the Spirit leads, above and beyond the seven dollars. I didn't mean Spirit, spirit led me to give a dollar. No more than. Um, anyway, those are out there. The, tonight, we're going to be in Acts chapters 10 and 11. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, 10 and 11. Um, we're following Peter now. Saul, Paul, has been saved now, but he is spending a 12-year sabbatical with the Lord. (laughs) Different ministries, God is teaching him, unteaching him some things. We don't know what's all going on there. And at the end of chapter 11, we see uh, Barnabas going to get him. Okay, so this is, meanwhile, back at the ranch is what 10 and 11 really are, while Saul is being transformed and uh, renewed in the mind. So we pick it up here, uh, verse 1 of chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you uh, what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a, a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay. This is the beginning of the Gentile church. This is the calling. It's the first time that a mission has been set specifically for Gentiles. It's going to start with this centurion called Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian regiment. So he served Rome. He was a soldier um, uh, of great authority 
uh, and had many people that would serve him, and he would send them, and, and they would do tasks for him, and so on. And so this is a, that's the background of this Roman Gentile soldier. Now, he is a believer in God, not a born-again believer in Jesus. He is a follower of the Jewish traditions, although not a Jew, and that's important. The Christians, uh, Jewish Christians, because that's all there really were at this time, believed you needed to become a Jew first, and then you became a Christian. That was the route that you would take. You'd first come into Judaism, and then you become a Christian, a Jewish Christian, and that was the because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Okay, and so that's how it was. This is not the case with Cornelius. Cornelius, the centurion, was just a prayerful follower of God, loved the Jews, gave alms and, and money to, to the poor Jews, but didn't himself become a Jew. Okay, so that's where we are with him. And that's important because this is going to be news to the church, that you didn't have to be a Jew first. And it's going to be news that at first is rejected, but is going to be accepted by some, but on the other hand, others won't accept it. And the others that don't accept what's about to take place in 10 and 11 are those that followed Paul around continually. They were called those of the circumcision who would go around after people would get saved and say, that's great, but let's get this Jewish thing under control. So let's circumcise you and let's let you know about the dietary laws and let's put you under the law. Okay, that's what they would do. And Paul was, well, he was not a fan of those folks, to say the least because he understood this. Now, that's what's taking place here. So that's your background here, this Cornelius, this centurion. I like the fact that he's a soldier. I like that. He's in the army. None of the folks that were saved in the army were ever called away from the army. They're never told to quit their jobs. They're never told to not fulfill their duties. They were only told by John the Baptist specifically, as a centurion gets saved, what should we do now? He says, do your duty. Don't go beyond your duty. Don't don't extort people. Don't shake them down because you have a power and authority and you've got a nice sword in your hand. I want you to, I want you to do your job. But he doesn't call them to quit their job. So in other words, they're still called to kill. They're still called to follow through on all these tasks as Christians. Okay, um, I think that's important to understand. As Some have taken it to the extreme. Well, I can't serve in the army. I'm a... I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, so that's not biblical. It's there. It's okay. You know, I can't I can't do that mission um, because it would would require me to carry a gun. Well, that's a conscientious objector's position, but it's not a Christian position necessarily. You can't just say that that that's what Christ would do, and only good Christians would follow these rules. It's not the case. And I throw that out there because there are those out there that that are of that bent and of that thought, and, and that's fine for them, but they can't put that on you. And so um, our soldiers are, are in very good company here with this centurion and all the other centurions and all of those of Caesar's household that got saved. It's okay. So he's having this vision. He's praying in the hour of prayer, which is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So he's following the traditions of the Jews, although not a Jew, praying. And he gets this vision from God. God speaks to him. A vision is different from a dream. Some people have dreams. Some people have visions. This is a daydream or a, something that's in your mind's eye. If, if, I want to be careful how I say that. I'm not getting into the occult here. I'm just saying is, whoa, you know, there's this thing happening to me while I was praying. I got this really clear impression from God that this is what I'm supposed to do. To the point where when later on when he describes it, there was a guy standing beside me. 
That's how clearly it was to him. It was a big deal. So there he was. And so he gets this, and he says, I, I've seen it. You, your, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial to me. Now, I'm going to answer your prayer. Now, we don't know what the prayer is, but we will find out later. He's praying something. He's asking God for something, but he hasn't shown him yet what it is. Your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial. Now, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to go, but I want you to send people to go do it. Angels are used for a lot of things in the Bible, but mainly just messengers. They, they don't give the gospel. It's only people. He's bringing in two people. He's going to bring Peter into this guy's life to give him the gospel. But you don't see the angel. Now, later on in Revelation, we do see the everlasting gospel being preached from the sky. But at this time, God wants to use people. And he's just bringing these two guys together. Angels generally did that, you know. Maybe gave a warning here to Joseph or, uh, you know, uh, an encouraging thing to to Mary um, or whatever. But uh, as far as the gospel goes, he relies on people to share it. But he does make divine appointments. He does bring people together for that purpose. And if everybody's paying attention and obedient, it works out really well. So this guy, Centurion, not a Jew, praying something, we don't know what, later on we'll discover what that is, gets heard from God. And God sends a messenger to him, and his response to this messenger is, what is it, Lord? You bet. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. So he does exactly what God tells him to do. Verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So Peter's praying the next day about 3 o'clock on top of the house. Now, they didn't have porches back then necessarily or things like this is their porch. You go up to flat roof, you go up on top of the roof, you'd walk up there, and there it is. And you just kind of walk around. That was your place. So it's not unusual that he was doing this. Um, he's up there praying because he's, he's waiting. And then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. That is so me. I'm getting ultra spiritual. I'm on top of the housetop, and I'm praying. I'm seeking God. And then I hear that whale call from the center of my stomach, you know. Everybody, remember we used to have prayer over here when you have prayer time? What, it's, and I saw that on Facebook one time. Somebody said, you know, I'm in this deep prayer, and then all of a sudden my stomach wants to do a whale call, you know, kind of thing. It's like, I know everybody heard that. And they do, and they all look at you, and they'll go, <laughs> are you hungry? No, I'm, I'm full. That's why it's doing that. Of course I'm hungry. But that's how I am, too. I get distracted really easily, you know. And it's always when I, I, I don't ever notice it any other time. It's only when I'm in prayer, or I'm, you know, I'm just trying to seek the Lord or something. All of a sudden, I'm like, you know, I'm hungry after all. I start thinking about that instead. And I say that because I'm not, I was going to say perfect, but I think everybody knows that. But I, I'm not even close to being perfect. I'm not even in the ballpark most of the time. You know, I want to be, and I'm striving, and that's why I'm in prayer. But most of the time, I'm hungry, you know, and I'm thinking about other things that I shouldn't be thinking about when you're focusing on the Lord, because that's not what God's, you know. Look what God does with it, though. Look what he does with it. How can I get this across to Peter that I want him to go minister to the Gentiles? And he sees Peter's stomach growling. He hears the whale call himself and decides to use it. I love that. See, sometimes I get the idea, and I don't know if you're like me, but I get the idea that if I, if I get my mind in the right space and I've had enough quiet times in a row and I haven't sinned in that one area for this amount of time, 
that all of a sudden the floodgates of heaven are going to open up and I will be used in a mighty, powerful way to minister to this world. And it doesn't happen. And I'm waiting. I'm like, God, I'm really in a perfect spot for you to use me. I'm really good. You better grab it while you can because it's not going to last much longer. That's how I think sometimes. And it's when I'm not thinking about God sometimes and it's when I'm not where I'm supposed to be and I skipped my quiet time in the morning because I wanted to sleep in, because I wanted to eat food, because I was in the flesh. And then all of a sudden this open door for effective ministry comes right in front of me and I'm like, And Satan will whisper in your ear at that moment and say, you can't, you're not ready, you're not prepared, don't. When God's saying, no, I wasn't wanting to do anything right then. I love that about you, that you're having your quiet times. I love that you were thinking about me. I love that you hadn't sinned. I loved all that, but there was nothing going on right at that moment. But now there is. And are you still a willing, open, usable vessel who I don't use because of your holiness? I use because it sees it's going to work out for me. And will you make yourself available? And it's at those times God uses me. And it's at those times God speaks the greatest because I feel so small. I feel so less. Where I, I guess I didn't think I thought more of myself over here, but I guess I did. I'm holy now. I'm ready for you to be used, God. Look at this willing, sharp vessel or you know, tool. Or I'm mis- mixing my metaphors now, but... And God's like, no, I need you when you're less, when you're small, when you're insignificant, when you don't feel like you're anything so that I can shine through those big, open, gaping cracks in your life, you know. And so Peter's hungry and God uses that. God uses the natural to do something supernatural. He began to be very hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again, The second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. The object was taken up into heaven again. Now, there's a lot of things going on here. The first thing is God's using his hunger. and says, as long as you're hungry, let me show you something here. And he brings out all the things that he can't eat and all the things he's not supposed to eat as a good Jewish person. You're not supposed to eat roaches and bugs and creeping things like that. And you can't have lobster and you're not supposed to eat crayfish and, you know, all those things that we think are fine. Well, he knows I can't eat these things. And I don't know what he was thinking, but this is the second time he's ever said, not so, Lord. Does anybody remember the first time Peter said, not so, Lord? It was when Jesus said he had to go to the cross. And he says, not so, Lord. And what an oxymoron that is when you put those three words together. No, Lord. When really all you can say is, yes, Lord. That's all you're saying. If he's Lord, then yes is the answer. Not no, Lord. And so he does this thing, not so, Lord. And and I can so understand where he's coming from. He thinks he's being tested. Oh, so you wanted to pray with me, and now you're hungry, and I'm going to lay this stuff out for you. It's a test, isn't it? I'm I'm so hungry, but I'm not eating any of that because it's not kosher. Not so, Lord. I'm passing the test, you know? God's like, no, you're not getting it. I'm saying to you, and God never tempts us, he never would say, rise, Peter, kill and eat, to see 
he would never use his authority that way. God doesn't do that. We shouldn't do that. Never use your authority to cause someone else to stumble. Oh, you ate. You told me to. Yeah, but you know the law. I was just seeing if you do what I told you to do, dummy. That's not how God works. God was trying to teach Peter a lesson. Peter not getting it. A little thick-headed sometimes. I've never done anything unclean. Well, that's not true, but okay. And the voice said, don't call what I've cleansed common. And he did it three times for emphasis. Now this, for a Jew, would have been a big deal. What do you mean I can eat anything now? What do you mean the dietary laws don't apply anymore? What do you mean you've cleansed that which was unclean before now isn't? It's exactly what I said it means. It's, it's cleansed now. I've cleansed it. Don't call it common. Don't call it disgusting. Don't call it defiled. I've cleansed it. And so, verse 17, Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, he's not sharing it with anybody, and you can understand why. It's weird. I mean, it's just flat out weird. Put it in your modern day, I couldn't put it in modern day vernacular. I was trying to think of how it would come up. But it would be like me going up to you and say, oh man, I was having this great prayer time on top, and God showed me the refrigerator, and it fell down, and inside the refrigerator, and you'd be like, that's great, J.D., you know? Neat vision. I don't know, but, you know, God's will be done. That's what we say as Christians when we're not sure what you're talking about. And whatever, God's will be done. Peter keeps it to himself because he's not even sure exactly what it means yet. I don't know exactly what's going on here. I don't know what this sheep meant. I know I can't tell my other Jewish buddies with me that I can eat anything I want now because they wouldn't believe me. They just say I'm compromising. They just say I'm falling short, that I'm not sticking to it that I'm doing something strange, they wouldn't understand. Now, this, that is the case a lot of times. Um, and so it's good to keep those things to yourself. It's okay. Not everything has to be public. Not everything has to be shared. Not everything has to be blabbed. You know, you wouldn't call it blabbing, but that's kind of what it is. Just keep it to yourself. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had seen, meant... Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So they're just outside, ready to come into the courtyard before the house. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. He, doesn't, he leaves out a detail there, doesn't he? He leaves out the fact that they're Gentiles. Go downstairs. There's men seeking you. Well, that's probably not uncommon for Peter. What's uncommon about this is that they're common, that they're Gentiles. But he leaves that out. So Peter gets the surprise when he opens the door. You know, ever have that happen? Someone's coming to your door. You're expecting somebody. That's happened to me before. I've opened the door. I'm like, and you better be careful what your expression shows at that point. It should show, it should be like, hey, I didn't expect you, not, oh, it's you. You know, you don't want to do that. Um, I would imagine Peter's was more along the lines of, oh, it's you, you know. So he went down to meet the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am, I am he whom you seek. For, for what reason have you come, is the idea. What do you guys need? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God 
that has a good reputation among all the nations or all the nation of the Jews was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. Come on in. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. He takes six other guys with him as witnesses to this. This is unusual for him. Peter, at this point, I believe, is understanding what this sheet thing with all the weird kind of foods in it was all about. It really wasn't about removing the dietary law, although that is part of it. The second thing is he understands that you're talking about Gentiles, aren't you? They're cleansed as well. They're worthy of the gospel. They need to hear it just like everybody else does, and they don't necessarily have to become Jews. He's going to get all that. Verse 24. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now that's faith. He gets a vision, sends some guys on some faith errand, and he calls everybody in for this party and says, sit down, someone's coming to teach. And he has no idea whether Peter's really going to respond or not. All he knows is that God said it was going to happen, and he believed him at his word. And so he's got this crowd. Imagine that. Having everybody over to your house, calling all your relatives. What are we here for? This guy's going to come and talk. I don't know when he's getting here sometime. We're just going to sit here and wait for him. And they're just sitting there waiting for him. This is awesome. I love this. I don't have that. I mean, I, I, maybe I would have that kind of faith if I saw an angel standing beside me. But wow, you know. Because you're going to look pretty dumb if no one shows up. These are your friends and your relatives, you know. I want you guys all to hear this. This is going to be great. This guy loves God. He really does. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. He doesn't know what to do. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. Now angels tell people to stop worshipping them. Men tell people to stop worshipping them. But when Jesus received worship, he received it. It tells us he's above the angels. It tells us that he's above men. It tells us that he's God come in the flesh. Stand up, I myself am also a man. What's happened here is the centurion at this point as a Gentile has been equalized with Peter. And the Jew has been brought low and the Gentile is brought up and they're all level in Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It's a neat thing. Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He understood the vision. God didn't say anything about men. He only talked about food. He says, but I understand that he wasn't talking about food. He was talking about people. He doesn't want me to call you unclean. Now, to me, that sounds offensive. You know, you know how I'm not supposed to be in your house because you're unclean, but here I am. That's, you know, thank you, I guess. You know, that's not what he's getting at. Everybody knew this. Everybody knew that a Jew could not go into the house of a Gentile. Everybody knew that. And everybody respected those boundaries. This is just something you don't do. It's something you don't do. We don't eat together. We eat at separate tables because for us to eat with you is to be... And to be honest with you, the Gentiles felt the same way about the Jews. The Jews are weird. A bunch of weirdos, you know. 
So here they are, not being weird or being weird together, however you want to look at it. He says, you know, I'm not supposed to be here, but I am. I'm here. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? He doesn't even know what he's supposed to do. Neither does Cornelius. I don't know. He told me to call for you. Why are you here? I don't know. They told me to come here. And so there they are. And so this is what he says. Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your arms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose name is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. God didn't command me nothing. He didn't give me a speech. He didn't give me anything to write. I've got nothing prepared. I don't know what to do. And it dawns on Peter, and I don't know if this is really the case or not, but it dawns on Peter, the only thing I have to offer you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all I've been doing. I guess I'll tell you the same thing I told everybody else. And so he tells him, and guys, that's all we're called to do. That's all we're called to do. It's as simple as this. It's as magnificent as this. It's as, it's as holy as this. This is a supernatural. God is sending messengers and angels and doing this one thing and doesn't just talk about my son. It's all I want you to do is talk about Jesus. I don't have to know what to say. God has prepared the hearts of the hearers. God has prepared the heart of Peter, the teacher. And when those two things come together, amazing things happen. When God softens the heart of a hearer, you can receive from the worst preacher in the world. And here you are, right? I had to say that because, you know, I don't want to say I'm awesome or anything. But I, I take exception with that when people sit down and say, I didn't get anything out of that guy. Maybe your heart wasn't prepared. I tell you what, a soft, spongy heart can receive anything. Anything from God, no matter who the preacher is. You may not get everything. It may not be a complete smorgasbord for you to dig in and, and have a feast on, but you'll get one thing. You at least better get one thing out of it. God softens the heart of us as hearers. I think that's so important to prepare our hearts to receive God's word, to get down all those things and pride and arrogance and everything else. It's a great thing to start off with dropping to your knees before Peter and have Peter say, no, get up. I don't want you to worship me. I'm just a man. All that was necessary for, about what, for what's to take place here. For both the teacher and for the hearer, they need to get that out of the way. So share with me whatever God's told you to share. And then Peter opened his mouth and said, and that's all it is, just open our mouths. That's the hardest part about sharing the gospel with someone is getting that first tongue and lip action started. Just start off, well, there was this man named Jesus, and that'll Holy Spirit will take it from there. You know. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism of which John preached. 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are his witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that. Through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. That's it. That's the gospel right there. I don't know what to say. Well, you talk about Jesus, who he was and what he did. You talk about him dying on the cross and why he died on the cross. You talk about him rising from the dead, and then you talk about what you need to do, what the person needs to do. It's that simple. It's that simple. Jesus didn't talk about the law at all with this Gentile. You notice that? He didn't say, you know, first of all, the first commandment is this, and the third commandment, and here's the seventh commandment. He doesn't talk about that at all. I bring that up for a reason. Because these guys all get saved right here based off this gospel message. Because who knows what God's doing in the heart of Cornelius? Who knows what God's been doing in the hearts of all these people? All Peter knows is, I'm going to tell you the gospel. And the gospel is this. Jesus, who he was, where he came from, what he did, how he was filled with power by God, rose from the dead because we killed him on the tree. And then... To him the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will, ha- will receive remission of sins. You'll receive the forgiveness. So you need to believe on him. You have to determine in your hearts to believe on Jesus for your salvation. It's done. <coughs> While Peter was still speaking these words, in other words, he didn't even get this teaching done that he wasn't prepared to give to begin with. While he was still preaching, while he was still opening his mouth, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Why? Why? Because they had already believed on Christ. There was no altar call. There was no raising of the hands. There was no confession. There was nothing open. It was all in the heart. It was all silent. It was all unseen. Nobody knew it was happening. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls upon believers that weren't there 10 seconds ago. Because while he was preaching, they believed on him, and that's it. Salvation was done, and nobody knew it. I say that because we can so... I don't know, we got this thing in our minds of how things are supposed to be. And I think God just likes to blow that stuff up sometimes. Peter's like, in about five minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come. Oh, you're up here already. You've come forward. You know, he blows that stuff out of the water. I love that. It is such a work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a person. And it is so personal. It is so real. And it is so none of my business half the time. You know? What God's doing is, is amazing. While he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Those are the witnesses with Peter. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. In other words, they're moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit These Gentiles, not Jews first, then Gentiles, these Gentiles baptized with the Holy Spirit after they believed for salvation. And all of a sudden they're speaking in tongues. And here's what they do when they speak in tongues. They magnify God. They're not talking to each other. They're not talking. They're not preaching. They're giving glory to God. And Peter 
is great. He just stops his, I guess I don't need to say anything more. I don't have to finish the speech. I don't need to finish my notes. I'm not done. I'm only on paragraph five, you know. Okay. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water? I guess we better move to the water stage now. Let's go get baptized. It's a little out of order, isn't it? I don't know. First you accept Christ, then you get baptized, then you get filled with the Spirit. It's, gotta, it's like that. Or not. Or it's however God wants to do it. And Peter, being a servant of the Lord, just says, I guess we're, over, we're moving to the water baptism stage here. Anybody want to get baptized? Let's go get water. Because they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. I love it. Now this is a big deal because they didn't become Jews first. He's going to take this message back now to the church because everybody's going to hear about what happened. These witnesses were there and they saw it. This is going to blow people's minds away. They did it out of order. They didn't do it like they're supposed to. They didn't become Jews first. In fact, he just went straight to them as Gentiles. Here's the thing. There's activity here, a work of God, but it is documented in Scripture that this was going to take place. Genesis, God said this was going to happen, prophesied that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. In other words, he's within the bounds of Scripture. Keep that in mind. Not just activity, spiritual activity, proves God's existence in that ministry. It's God's activity within the bounds of Scripture still. Really important. God doesn't go beyond it. He stays within the bounds of his scripture. They just forgot about those scriptures that God said, I'm going to reach the Gentiles. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. He said ahead of time what he was going to do so that when I do it, you're not freaked out, although they were. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. That's accusatory. These are the circumcision. These are the believers that were Jews first. Exclamation point. So they're yelling at Peter. They're accusing him. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, and now this is important because when Luke writes, they say this is a 33-foot-long scroll. Rare. Paper's rare. Okay? You don't rewrite the story. It's already been told. He could have said, two days ago, we've already gone over that. This happened, and that's the end of it. He rewrites the entire story because it's that important. We understand this also. God has just broken through barriers of the traditions of men that they didn't think could be broken or should be broken, and they're wrong. The traditions have become more important than God's commandments. They become more important than God's doctrine. Our traditions need to be careful that they don't get in the way of God's word. And so they accuse him of this. How could you do this? But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw, in a, I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet. Let This is the first time he's told anybody about this. Let down from heaven by the four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean is at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. 
In other words, it came from God. This was not a demonic vision. This was not, you know, because that's what they'd say. Well, you Dutch is Satan trying to trick you, Peter. You got duped. No, this is from heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. In other words, this is being confirmed by many people getting visions from God. Not one man's vision given to the people. This is happening to me over here. It was happening with Cornelius. We all met. We came back together. And this is confirmation. We know this. Be careful about that. It's fine that you had a vision, but make sure it's confirmed. Two or three witnesses. You want to make sure, you know. And so they did this confirmation. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. That's what he's supposed to do. So that's the prayer. What was Simon praying? What was, or what was uh, Cornelius praying? How do I get saved? Well, call for Peter, and he's going to tell you how to get saved. Could have just told the angels. Could have just told them himself in the vision. Nope, I want to use Peter. I want to use Peter. Because I don't want any barriers there. Peter's got this thing with Gentiles. They all do. I've got to break through that. So I'm going to use these guys. Whether they like it or not, they're going to come. And they're going to have to deal with it. You know, they're going to have to throw away a lot of things they thought were fact, and they're not. And then I'm going to get you saved by these guys so that we don't have two groups growing up. You know, there's the Jewish church, and then there's, there's the Gentile church, and they don't mix. And they don't get along. So I'm going to break through that nationality thing. I'm going to break through that ethnic thing. I'm going to break through those traditions because there are two types of people in this world. There are those who trust in Jesus for their salvation, and there are those who don't. Those are the only distinctions left. There's no more male. There's no more female. There's no more black. There's no more white. There's no more Russian. There's no more German. There's no more Japanese. There's no more anything. You know, I was talking to a sister who I delivered stuff to, and she had a quick question for me because she knows the pastor here, and she says, you know, I got this lady who wants us to use NIV only, or she's not coming to our Bible study ever again. I said, no, I've never heard of NIV only people before. I've heard of New King, or I've heard King James only people before, but never NIV only people. Okay, that's new. So I just explained a little bit about it, and as we got into a little bit, she goes, "Yeah, that was the Bible her husband gave." Well, then I say, "You can understand the sentiment." She wants to use that Bible, and she's confused because it's a paraphrase, not a word-for-word translation. I went through the whole deal with her, and so I was thinking about this King James only thing, since this was an NIV only thing, and I'm like, "What? What do the Russians use?" What do the Japanese use for God's word? What do the Chinese use for God's word? What do the Filipinos use? What do the Africans use? Is it King James? Do they all learn King's English so that they can be right? Or are they using something different? You know? I just got to thinking how arrogant you know, to think that that is the only one. Anyway, be careful about that stuff, this tradition that Jesus never read, said anything about be sure and follow the King James only. Now, we use New King James because we think that's a good medium. It's not a paraphrase. It's a word-for-word translation. It's a little easier to read than it is the King James. There's nothing wrong with the King James. I just throw that out there for you so that we don't have any of that, this group and that group. And God breaks through all that stuff here. It's him. It's him. Let's just talk about Jesus is the idea and what he's done, and who he is, and our sin, and what he calls sin, and repent from our sin. That's all very important. 
It's all very important. So he explains it all to them. And uh, they said, send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Right before we even got our circumcision knives out, you know. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God. Good for them. That's not how I thought that was going to go, you know. Then they threw rocks at Peter and cast him out from before them. That's how it usually goes, isn't it? You know, but these guys, and this is important for all of us. Yeah, I'm really sure about this. And then I'm silent. I think about it and I'm like, and you let the grace of God and you let the Holy Spirit change your heart and you give him time and you give them time to absorb it. They needed time. This is a big deal. And Peter understood that, and that's okay. But as they absorbed it and they were quiet for a while, because what are you going to say? You're right. They glorified God. Cool. You know? Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now, this shouldn't have been news to them. God prophesies about these things. And I wrote them all down on my piece of paper that was in my coat that I took off when I went home and I didn't bring with me today. But it's there. You have to believe me. It's in Isaiah, and it's in Genesis, and it's in Exodus, and it's in here in Joel and all that. And I've got them all written down, so you'll just have to find them yourself. I'm sorry. I was going to give them to you, make it easy on you. But this is all prophesied about, that the Gentiles were always, the Israelites were always supposed to be a light to the Gentiles to come to him, not to be better than them. Uh, he was going to pour his spirit on all flesh. He promised that, Jews and Gentiles alike. There was no, there was no, got to become a Jew. And so they get this now for the first time, and now things are going to go crazy. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over, Stephen's, over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who then they had come to so I'm sorry so who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch Barnabas is the son of encouragement remember when he came and had seen the grace of God he was glad I love that oh that we'd see the grace of God and not the conflict within my soul, you know. He came and stood in awe and wonder and couldn't believe. No, he just, look at the grace there. Look at God's grace. He was excited that people were getting saved that he didn't think could be saved. He was glad at that and encouraged them because that's who he is, a son of encouragement. All that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. You know, it says he was a good man. Now, he was probably a good man before he got saved, but he got saved. I think it's important to understand that about Cornelius before we finish up here. 
with these last few verses, that Cornelius was a good man who worshipped God, who was in prayer, who was giving alms to the poor. But he wasn't going to heaven yet. You understand that? He needed Jesus still. We have to be very careful about, especially us folks in the Midwest, we're all really good people, you know. We help out our neighbors. I mean, for, in a general way, I mean, it is a little different here. If you've ever been on the East Coast or the West Coast, it's a little different here. They fly over us. They don't ever stop here. And we're, we're like that. We like to help each other for the most part. But those folks need Jesus still. They need Jesus. It doesn't matter whether they're generous. It doesn't matter. Their sins have to be forgiven. They have to be paid for. They have to receive repentance from God. They have to do that. It's still necessary. Just being a good person, just doing good works, doesn't make you accepted by God. And so this Cornelius gets saved, but likewise Barnabas gets saved, and it carries on into the church then, the son of encouragement. So, then Barnabas, after that, and, I'm sorry, and the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas, and that's always the case with grace, always the case. Um, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Twelve years later. I go find that Saul. Well, we don't know how long it took him to find him. I guess it could have taken a long time. Seek Saul. He didn't know where he was. All he knew he was up there. And so he's, you know, he's got to seek him out and search this guy out. So it was that for a whole year, that's where he found him. He finally found him. He brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It's the first time that word was used, Christians. See, Christian was never meant to be um, a badge of honor. Christian meant little Christ. It'd be like saying, oh, you're a little Napoleon. He's a little Napoleon. Well, we all know what that means. He's a short guy who thinks he, he's got you know, to... He's got to prove it to everybody. Oh, you're a little Napoleon, you know. Well, that's what they would call Christians. Oh, you're a little Christ. You're one of those little Christian, you know, imitators kind of thing. You're, you're an imitator of, of Jesus. And it was meant to be that, but they liked it. They used it. Instead of being called the way, they were, they were now changed to Christians at this point. Um, but that was the world's label for them. They were known for that. They weren't known for anything else. When they saw him, they said, that's a Christian. You know, it's one of those Christians. It's getting that way, though, isn't it? It's going to be more and more that way as Jesus comes, his second coming gets closer and closer. Being called a Christian, being known as being a little Jesus freak or Jesus person. He's a Jesus. In the 60s when they got saved and all the uh, hippies got saved, they were the Jesus people movement. They were Jesus people. You know, it's meant as being derogatory. They said, yeah, that's right, we're Jesus people. Someone said that to Lonnie Frisbee, I think. It was uh, way back in the day. He had long hair and a big, long beard. They said, you, you're just, you, just, you look like Jesus. You're just trying to look like Jesus. And he says, I, just, I can't imagine who I'd rather look like more than Jesus. He took it as a compliment, you know. You have a Messiah complex. Well, no, I don't want to be the Messiah, but I sure want to be like him, you know. Call me what you will, but I'd rather be called a Christian than anything else. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. So they're still prophesying and all that, still going on. It's one of the gifts. So a lot of gifts of the Spirit. You've got visions, you've got prophecies, you've got words of knowledge, you've got, I mean, tongues is happening. And this is way after the disciples got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is a whole new group of people. So the gifts are definitely for today. Um, if they were for them, they're for us. 
Then one of them named Agabus, he was a prophet, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So that's one of the uses of the gifts, uh, gift of prophecy. It doesn't always have to be proclaiming God or his coming, because that's all been kind of sealed up. We all know that. Um, we all know that there's nothing more to add to it. Um, but boy, you can tell us things like this. There's going to be a famine. And they believed him. Because their actions show it. Um, I, I'm always worried about people that just nod and say, Yep, amen, brother. I'll know you got it when you do it. You know, when it's lived out in your house, in your family. These guys believed it. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This is before it happens. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. What a contrast in verses 29 and 30 to the, to the preppers of today. There's going to be a famine? I better get enough food for everybody else. I love it. I love it. I better buy more guns so I can shoot all my neighbors when they come for my food. <laughs> what? You know? Well, if they come knocking on my door, boy, they're going to meet you. Oh, brother. Or not a brother. When the disciples heard it, they determined to send relief. And, you know, I want to pause there. Sometimes it takes determination to follow through on these kind of things that God puts on your hearts. God may spark something in your mind. Oh, I just got to do that. I really got to do that. I'm so excited to do that. By the time you get from here to your car or from your car to your house, Satan's already talked you out of it half the time. You know? You have to determine in your hearts, I am going to do this. I am going to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea because I hear about their plight. You've got to determine to do that. It's hard. It takes determination and uh, follow through. So they do. And that's where we close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, for um, your word. Um, you loved us so much that you preserved your word, even in the New King James Version. Lord, you preserved your word for us to glean from it tonight. And Lord, as our hearts were prepared to receive your word, we want to receive it with gladness. Like Cornelius and his household received it with gladness and, and you did great things there, Lord. We know that you couldn't do a lot of great things in certain parts of the country when you were preaching because there was, a, there was unbelief. Uh, Lord, we believe. We believe your word. We're trained by your word. We're changed by your word. We're taught by your word. We don't, we don't teach it. We don't train it. Um, we receive. And so, God, we've received your word with gladness tonight. We pray that you change us from the inside out, Lord. Help us to see the needs of those around us, to minister to them, to be a blessing to them, to be full of grace and mercy, Lord. Um, Lord, to stand up to injustice, Lord, and to uh, determine in our hearts um, to help those around us and those whom you put on our hearts to do, Lord. Um, we love you. We love you. Lord, for those that have received you as their Lord and Savior, even tonight, without a word, unseen, unspoken, God, we thank you for them. We know that heaven rejoices uh, for them um, being saved. Lord, would you be with them? Would you help them to understand your word as they study it and read it, Lord? Um, would you remove the things in their life that are not pleasing to you and that are harmful to them? And would you replace them with only, only what's good, Lord? Um, only the things that are of you. And uh, help them to be teachable and trainable by your Holy Spirit and by your word. And I pray that you'd be with them. Would you go with them and, 
and uh, take care of them, Lord. Lord, show us how we can be a blessing to them in any way, Lord. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.